Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. There's a lot of like, okay, well, you like Ska named three bands that aren't the boss tones. I'm your host, Aaron Carnes, music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska. And I'm your co-host, Adam Davis, veteran Ska musician from the bands Omnigon and Link 8. On our show, we aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of Ska music. There are so many great untold stories throughout the history of Ska. The show features interviews with everyone from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to Fishbone, Fall Out Boy singer Patrick Stump, and the police drummer Stuart Copeland. Join us on In Defense of Ska from the Consequence Podcast Network, Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Consequence Podcast Network. Despite what the man wants us to think, true hip-hop fans and true hard rock and metal fans have a lot in common. They both harbor a healthy distrust of authority. They both value an edge to their music, and they're both extremely protective of their respective genres to anyone perceived to be inauthentic. They're opposers in every scene, and they must be eradicated. Even though on paper, hip-hop and metal should go together like chocolate and peanut butter, we've all seen attempts at this combo go terribly wrong in a number of different ways. Like chocolate and cheese. Now, no offense to the fine gentleman of Ween, it's a great album title, But if somebody hands you a chunk of provolone dipped in Godiva, you're going to have a bad Valentine's Day. Cypress Hill, though, got a lot of things right. DJ Muggs chose the exact right samples and manipulated them in the exact right ways. Sendog and Be Real wrote the exact right rhymes and delivered them in the exact right way. And somehow they appealed to hardcore fans of two hardcore styles of music in the exact right way. In this episode, we're talking about what made Cypress Hill so attractive to fans of all kinds of heavy music and put them head and shoulders above everyone else attempting the same crossover. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is The Opus. 
Let's open up this pit. <laughs> In the fall of 1993, one of my most indelible memories still lives. I'll never forget walking through the hallway at my high school between a bank of lockers and a stairway when a kid in Carl Kanai jeans passed two dudes. One was wearing a Metallica shirt and one was wearing a Megadeth shirt. Kanai just yells out, Insane in the membrane! And the high school Hetfield and Mustaine gave back a very guttural, Insane in the brain! It was peak early 90s. And it was great because in the early and mid-90s, hip-hop and hard rock were arguably at their respective peaks. And because I went to a school where kids from all over Chicago went as opposed to a neighborhood school, that meant we had a healthy, a hip-hop-head student body, as my own neighborhood school would have, but with the added bonus of a long-haired metalhead population. The two factions were very friendly. I think the level of cultural live and let live was very high. And honestly, so were a lot of us. There also seemed to be an understanding that what was going on across the aisle was quality. So respect was paid. Bands and groups of all kinds were firing on all cylinders the year Cypress Hill made their debut. Here is Send Dog. I think that time, you know, in hip-hop, it's referred to as the golden era. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think we should be referring to all of music as as the golden era of that time because Nirvana was around and Soundgarden, you know, those were all, you know, classic records. And like Garth Brooks was out there, you know, putting out a classic album as well. I don't know. I just think that at some point in time, in some years, some a group of people are going to get together and do their thing and, and become one big collective. And I think it's just always meant to happen. It just, people just had to, come together, form groups and, and whatnot and figure it out. It's kind of hard to explain, kind of, because we're all different genres. And how do we all come out in this one year? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I could just say that we were ready <laughs> when, for the, for when that time came. <laughs> we had been waiting for that time to come. And, and when it did, we were ready. We were on tour with, you know, all those bands, except for Garth. You know, we were on, you know, we were doing things with all those bands. And the fans were ready for what they were laying down. Cypress Hill was appreciated by both sets of heavy music fans, and not just appreciated. They were loved. And by the fall of 1993, around the time when the Judgment Night soundtrack was released and rap rock was asserting itself as a legitimate thing, Cypress Hill had achieved maybe the first truly successful hip-hop-to-metal crossover. And they had an official metalhead seal of approval even before they'd released any music. And not just any metalhead. There was a guy named Dave Lombardo that played drums for a band called Slayer. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend lived a couple houses down from my mom's house. And uh, he would come down there and peek his head out and see us making noise and hitting beats and rhyming. And, and he'd come down there and listen for a half an hour and, you know, get his little high on, whatever. And, and he would tell us, hey, you guys sound good, man, you know? So that was kind of like an inspirational thing for us because, you know, Slayer was already dominating. So... You know, that was a that was a big deal for us. It, it kind of made us feel like this guy's giving us a compliment. I'm sure he's not lying to us. Good guy, that Dave Lombardo. 
I don't know if he knew at the time that, like him, the MCs in Cypress Hill were also Cuban, but it makes sense that he may have picked up on some references while listening in through his girlfriend's window. For a group to really cross over in the way that Cypress Hill does, a few things need to be true. Number one, the music must be both aggressive and easy to dance to. Number two, the lyrics must speak to both groups, when and if they're decipherable. Disenfranchisement, rage against man as well as machine, and a hearty dose of middle finger vibes are a great place to start. And number three, I hate to boil this down to aesthetics, but hey, you gotta sell t-shirts, right? The music was the main reason, of course, to why people started coming around to the Cypress Hill side. But visually, who among us who prefer the arts a little dark could resist? Joe Nicolo and Chris Schwartz of Cypress's label Roughhouse Records know how far marketing and imagery can get a group whose music is doing a lot of the heavy lifting, but needed a little something extra to push them over the hump. This debut album was a slow burn that was helped along by MTV and their album cover. A lot of skulls and crossbones. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say it, that, but I figured I'd let Joe test I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was dark. I mean, kids, yeah, those kids, they love that dark. You know, what was that, Ozzy? And it, it was, you know, dark is a universal language at that age, and it, it just crossed over because originally... The, the urban community did not embrace Cypress Hill, even, oh my God. A, even a little bit. I mean, they, it we, was, uh, they fought it, it to the six nail. months, six months that we shipped the record. It sat in the mud for six months, like 32,000 copies. And we were tearing our hair out, trying to figure out why we knew how good the record was. And we knew that everybody who was exposed to it loved it. And it wasn't until, like, the, the B-side of the third single was in the Juice soundtrack. And then it just, mm-hmm. we went from yeah. 32,000 copies at six weeks to selling 50,000 copies yeah. a week. The Killer Man song played over a minute and a half. I think it pay, played, like, 97 seconds, maybe even longer. The Killer Man song played in the Juice movie. When right. you have something played that long, you know, where it, Tupac it, was chasing Omar Epps at the house party in the warehouse. That lit that that was the flint that lit the fire. Hollywood Steve Huey from AllMusic.com has his thoughts about what about the Cypress Hill formula worked. They had very heavy metal artwork. Uh, you know that Cypress Hill logo looks like a metal band logo, and the cover of Black Sunday looks like a heavy metal album cover. If I remember right, I think the Cypress Hill album looks like a heavy metal album cover as well. Mm-hmm. You had these sets of signifiers that told heavy metal fans, hey, we're cool. You can be cool with us. Like, welcome. Welcome to our, let's, let's all smoke a bowl together and, and have a good time and talk about violence. Because that's also appealing to heavy metal fans. And let's not discount something as simple as font choice and a cool-looking logo when thinking about how to grab attention at the record store. Here's Sendog. There's nothing that we did on that first record 
to make people think that we're like these metal heads or whatever. I think it's predominantly it's a hip hop record, but they caught on to something. Maybe the guitar riffs in Killaman or something like that. They, something brought them in, you know, along the same time we had developed our first logo and the band actually developed the logo. All three of us sat down one day and my whole thing was like, I wanted to look like some heavy metal, you know, t-shirt because in hip hop, you had the big letters, sometimes the faces on the shirts. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want any of us to be on the, on the part of the logo. The logo should be this thing by itself. Like, you know, like the Led Zeppelin and the angel falling from the sky and the wings spread out. Like, you know it, you see it, Led Zeppelin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So everybody put their, their ideas together and we came up with that logo. And I think that logo crossed over, crossed the line from just a hip hop thing into like the rock and roll and the metal thing. Cause kid, it was a fresh logo and people wanted to wear it. And then on the back of that shirt, it said the funky, the PH funky, the funky Cypress Hill shit. And you were, if you wore that shirt back then, you were considered a little bit of a rebel outlaw, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. So I think that that whole that all of that helped us like kind of cross over to, you know, other crowds that normally wouldn't have paid attention to us. that we would have just came out with like any other logo. I think the logo really helped us move from genre to genre. And if you, I mean, if you look at, you know, our Black Sunday album, it looks like a heavy metal record, you know, and that's what we were going for. You know, and that's exactly what we were going for, because nobody in hip hop was doing that. And that way, we were we were guaranteed that second look from that kid just flipping through albums and shit at the record store. What what, what was that? That looked crazy, you know. That was Cypress Hill right there. I mentioned the soundtrack to the movie Judgment Night earlier in this episode, and it may be a generational thing to assume that everyone sees that album as a cultural touchstone that needs no explaining, but just in case. Judgment Night was a movie that starred Emilio Estevez, post-starring in the great soundtrack-having film Repo Man. It also starred Cuba Gooding Jr., Dennis Leary, Stephen Dorff, and Jeremy Piven, and it was about what happens when you make... Bad choices in worse neighborhoods. Yeah, that's boiling it down pretty good. The plot is whatever, but the soundtrack was a game changer. It was the first time an entire album was dedicated to this new partnership between hip-hop and alternative and heavy rock. Genres that were finally getting mainstream respect and representation were being blended together, and it worked. Helmet with House of Pain worked, Biohazard and Onyx worked, and it worked so well for Cypress Hill that they earned themselves two spots on the soundtrack. Once with Sonic Youth, and again with Pearl Jam. The group would go on to fully embrace, acknowledge, and 
poke a little fun in the hip-hop and hard rock ways of life years later with 2000's rap superstar and rock superstar. The boys understood where they sat in the scenes and were the right people to do the job of roasting both in a way that only a true friend can. The MCs of Cypress Hill have become not just true friends of hard rock, but active and deliberate participants in it. Chuck D. of Public Enemy is a fan of artists who display that kind of range. Send Dog, years ago, I think he put together a band called SX10 that was just fire. And then he had his, his uh, power band, I think it's Power Rule. He had a, he had a band as well as Prophets of Raves going out. He did his metal band and sounded fantastic. They they all really sound fantastic. So that's their lane. That's their that's their thing because you know you got to ride those those rhythms and those riffs hard, and they do it well. And Prophets of Rage, the supergroup with Chuck D and DJ Lord from Public Enemy, Tom Morello, Brad Wilk, and Tim Comerford from Rage Against the Machine, and Be Real from Cypress Hill, embodies that same aggressive feel that their members' main project have cultivated to great success, and in Chuck D's case, for well over 30 years. That supergroup's formation took a while, and it only really became cohesive, at least for Chuck, when he found out who else would be joining him behind the mic. There was a thing where Tom Morello wanted to answer to what was happening and what was a growing force and sentiment in 2015 where that country was leading to the United States and he didn't have rage against the machine but thought he can actually answer to the growing sense of fascism and confusion with a band statement and he decided to put together a supergroup and reach out and touch everybody and originally he wasn't you know, he just was thinking about, okay, him, Tim, Tom, and maybe a voice that, that would lead them. And I already had Public Enemy was on tour, and I was like, and nobody's going to step into Zach De La Rocha's shoes and be Rage Against the Machine. So Tom had been asking around, and, you know, it just took my wife at the time to be able to say in a conversation that, he could he he could do it, but it, it takes some convincing. Then my dad passed, and I was looking for a new everything. But then I, I kind of went to a, a rehearsal or whatever one time, and not even a rehearsal. I went to a getting together, but I was I didn't have it on my you know on my radar. But it was something I, I wanted to explore. And then one day Tom said, "Well, how would you feel about be real?" being like another vocalist. And I was like, then it all started to make sense. I said, yes, that makes all the sense in the world. Cause then I could be the second vocalist. He could be the first vocalist. It started to work in my head. I would bring DJ Lord along. And that's when the Profs of Rage thing made, it only made sense if another vocalist could be with it to tackle some of these different songs and that's when when when, B, when tom said he asked me what do you think be real about be real that's that to me was the beginning of prophets of rage he to me he's the only mc that would make sense to me alongside me i made my determination that i was going to be microphone two to his microphone one and that made us a powerful powerful vocal presence 
to be able to tackle those Rage Against the Machines anthems hard and to be able to, to take fired up Public Enemy songs, Cypress Hill songs, as crazy as that sounds, because those songs, are, I mean, those are amped up anthems as they are, but put a little rage to it and take it to a different place. You have to have a lot of vocal power, strength, fury, and nonstop. And those Rage Against the Machine songs, and even Zach knows this, because as Rage Against the Machine reforms, I say, well, Zach, the 50-year-old Zach has to jump in the 25-year-old Zach's skin. So you have to seriously test your body, your mind, your soul to take it on. Yes, those are your songs, but you got to go to him, to them and, and take it on with, with that much more of a preparation, vigor, commitment than ever before. We were coming in and, and we were making also new songs too. So we had to figure out the alchemy and the design to attack those songs. You can't do those songs. You got to attack those songs. I think Chuck really nails it here. Cypress Hill is able to appeal to both fans of hip hop and hard rock because the attack is the thing. The approach is the thing. The edges and points are the thing. There's nothing curvy or soft about this music, even though it is made with love. And that's what fans of heavy music appreciate. That's what they love back. While I was talking to Chuck D, I asked him what he thought people should know about Cypress Hill that they might not know already. And he said, A lot of times when people talk about Cypress Hill, they immediately go to the smoke. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that's the outer layer. They're like, the smoke in Cypress Hill is like Saturn's rings. That's just the rings. <laughs> it ain't the planet. You know what I'm saying? So for the fourth and final episode in this Cypress Hill season, we'll talk about the rings and the planet. The group Smoke that has definitely been fire and the activism behind it that makes them a very interesting planet indeed. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this has been The Opus. I'll see you next time, rockers. Consequence Podcast Network. What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, 
where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 